Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles, the international edition. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, the unbelievable, knowing one's own, Van Helsing. And with me, of course, is that fine, outstanding English gentleman, the gold standard in ghost hunting, the bearded wonder, Mr. Stephen Parsons. Good afternoon. How are you? I take it you're yep. well? And refreshed and happy and well, jolly. Well, it wasn't, wasn't until I talked to you, yeah. That's looking, forward, looking forward to Friday. Why, what's Friday? Aren't they having mass riots all across America? No, I don't think so. Uh, that's what we're seeing in the news over here. Mass riots plan to disrupt the inauguration of President Farty Pants. That's what we got machine guns for. Okay. All done. Just kidding, just kidding. Peace and love, love and light. Yeah. Anyways, you know, I actually watched... Uh, Maureen, are you with us now? Maureen? Uh, I guess that would be a... Tonight's no. psychic has been cancelled yeah. due to unforeseen circumstances. Oh, okay. So, anyway. <laughs> Not yet. Okay. So, anyways, yeah. Um, Billy I started watching this uh, 13 Hours, the, the movie 13 Hours. You ever see that? No. It's about uh, Benghazi. Well, I, the attack on Benghazi. Yeah, I'm aware Libya. of the attack. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the, the American ambassador was killed. And, God, I went through that. It was an intense movie. And, uh, you know, it, it was so much so much more civilized in the olden days when we fought the first two world wars. You know, we knew who the enemy was, and they knew who we were, and... That was pretty clear, but I mean, these conflicts around the world now—you can't tell a friend from a foe. It's—I I don't envy anybody. Okay, I'm still trying to figure out not that got to do with Ghost Chronicles International, but there we go. What's that? Hey, Maureen. Who? There you go. Saved Hello. by the guest. Oh, that's next week, Maureen. You should. Didn't I tell you? Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Steve. How are you? Hi, Maureen. Apparently, you're going to tell us all about the attack on Benghazi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, not so, so much. So, okay. anyways, uh, for those who don't know, joining, joining us now is my longtime associate yeah. partner in crime, uh, psychic medium, trans medium, Maureen Wood. Have you hey, finished that book you? yet, you two? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you, mentioned, funny you mentioned that, Steve, because we were actually supposed to get together tonight, and uh, I ended up canceling it, was, so it was my bad. Uh, but it is. It's coming. It's coming. Your book is taking longer than Cal Cooper's PhD. That's yeah, you know, because they're trying to build up interest again, that's all. You know? Yeah, you know, the, the interesting thing about it is, you know, you, you, you can whip out these books because it's nothing but straight 
stuff and if if you write a, a book like we have in ghost chronicles it mm-hmm. requires uh to you know because we want to do it accurately we, we go through we have to listen to video it's and not fake news, audio, audio and all this other stuff and i uh, say it's fake news oh it's painful steve it's painful <laughs> because i don't watching myself doing a lot of these different things is painful and i honestly do not like watching myself to see that it's like a reminder and so We'll be writing, and Ron will say, we got to get that right. And we play it, and we play it, and I just look at it and cringe. Over so. and over again. Yes. Oh, we didn't hear that quite right. Wait a minute. I didn't bring my speaker, so let's turn it up. No, let's turn it up bring it onto your computer. We can get it life-size and larger. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's real. I mean, <clears throat> everybody who writes books these days, it's very fashionable to write books. Yeah. And- it, it, I mean, you can self-publish. You know, it, it, anybody can can sit in front of a computer. They can knock out some words, and they can oh, yeah. have for sale on right. Amazon within you know within a few days. Uh, but you both know how incredibly difficult it is to write a, a a reasonably good book, you know, quality publication, um, and then try and get that idea past the publisher. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's very tough to, um, you know, the whole publishing genre, whatever, everything has changed, as you said. Everybody's on there. But I will say that even though people might put a book out there, you know, all it takes is one or few happy or unhappy, rather, um, customers from reading it. And you see, oh, this one didn't edit. This one was bad. And then, you know, that's going to be their last sale. So. Yeah, you know, but that's, you know that's actually you can't, the biggest criticism you see these days. Is, you can't is, please everybody, though. That's the problem. You know? No, but you can at least get the basics right. One of the biggest criticisms I see these days when reading book reviews, and and there are a lot of them. Um, you've seen them a lot on in the journals uh, and in the paranormal um, review magazine, for example. People review paranormal books, and of course, I read the reviews to decide whether it's worth buying the book. Exactly. And the biggest criticism is uh, spelling. And grammar, um, you know the basic editing because of these self-published books. They, they, they rush to put the words out, but then they spend absolutely or, or spend very little time then editing the book or having it proofread by somebody who knows what they're doing. You know, they they tend to get a, a family member to read it, and there are some appalling, appalling spelling and grammar mistakes that get through these days. And I mean, it really is lowering the tone of publishing. I am so lucky, too, because uh, Maureen is so anal, it makes it uh, very good that we get out a good product because she'll make sure that we cross all our T's and dot our I's, where a lot of times uh, my mind travels so fast that I can't even see that the T's not crossed and the dot's not I'd. So I think that was a compliment, Steve. (laughs) It was, but historically speaking, there were many, many authors who were rubbish at the basics, uh, you know, literary skills, spelling and grammar, and relied on their proofreaders and editors to knock the book into final shape. Rather like a lot of uh, very good photographers, Ansel Adams, for example, well-known American photographer. much of his great work uh, with the camera was never rightly attributed to the uh, darkroom um, developers and, and, and editors in the darkroom who took his raw negative and then turned that into a workable print. And it's very, we, we all have um, something to say. And saying it in book form is a good way of saying it. Uh, but you, being a good author doesn't necessarily equate to being a good 
uh, having good literary skills. That's Correct. true. That's absolutely true. Yeah. But anyways, uh, we're not here to talk about books, although we have been for the last five minutes. Uh, That's all right. You have an hour to waste. <laughs> Maybe a half hour. Maybe a half hour with Maureen. No, so anyways. Showing token. We've got to spin it out a bit. Yeah, fine. So anyways, uh, Maureen will be joining us as well at uh, Spur, of course, which will be uh, September 29th, 20th, 30th, and October 1st. And she will be hosting... Uh, 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 I guess that's is that hosting the right word. Uh, this is another word, co- not coordinating, but facilitating uh, a uh, Saturday night event, part of a Saturday night event called uh, Psychic Detective, as part of a Houdini and Doyle. And I found that intriguing because when I when I you and I came up with the idea of uh, Spirit Quest while we were sitting on the porch, uh, you know, I thought of Maureen, and I didn't realize, you know, because we had worked on police cases before. It, you know, I didn't realize how much that she you was aware. And actually, she took some courses in psychic detective work. Is that true, Maureen? I did, yeah. I did a, a couple of certification courses um, for psychic detective certifications, rather. Um, and it was from a woman, Pam Carrado, or Coronado. Do you know her? No. She actually was on television. She's worked with police departments numerous times. Uh, she's out in California, and she basically taught this... Um, you know, this class about, I took it about eight years ago, I think, and she's been doing various classes ever since, but this class was really interesting, and I thought it was, you know, it's kind of strange, but I thought it was kind of fun, um, because no. she would, you know, she, well, with the course, one of the biggest things you do is she would give you, for instance, virtually, you know, she'd put up this picture, and then we'd all have this picture, we're supposed to write down our impressions, our information, um, and it went down to, it started out with just what are your feelings or interpretations, but then from that, it really went down to are you getting a location, are you getting, what images are you seeing, you know, and it got very specific. So, for instance, obviously, for me, one of the easiest things were, you know, telling whether the person was alive or dead. Yeah, Um, that would help, right? It would help, and which which is kind of funny because I thought you know the pressure's on, right? We got this class, and we're all gonna speak in person and have the conference call like we did it once a week after we had our homework. And I would sit there and get all stressed at first and said, "Oh, you know, um, what what are we doing here?" And what turned out to be was was interestingly enough, she'd put out a picture of this one woman. I remember the first person was like this lady with dark hair and a red dress, and so we went into this like a little bit of a quick glimpse, what are you getting? And I just was like, I could hear her laughing. I could see her wearing this red dress, working in a marketing firm. And I don't even know where this info was coming from. And I said, well, okay, I don't think she's dead. Um, and sure enough, the woman lived in Paris. You know, she does work at a marketing firm. Uh, and obviously she was very well, you know, she was still living. So she wasn't among the deceased. So I got my confidence up a little bit after that one. And we had some really crazy ones that we worked on. I mean, there were ones that were prison, you know, guys in prison, uh, murder victims. Uh, it was it was a little uh, hairy, but it was very interesting. They put murder victims in prison. Well, you know, what happened is we, <laughs> I know, she actually had, she would do murder victims and maybe cases that she had worked on or cold cases that she was currently working on. Um, and I think, and in a way, it was trying to get other people's objective, 
you know, their information, too, if she had a case that she was struggling with a little bit, so she'd get other impressions. But there were some that she they had solved, and so she knew all the locations where the bodies had been found. Um, she knew all that information, and basically she tested us on how close we came to that information. Mm-hmm. There was there was a TV series that uh, it was an American made TV series that aired in the UK that took that premise um, and developed it further. There were three, if I recall rightly. There was a psychic, there was a forensic detective. Hard dead uh, evidence. Uh, it may have been, and there was also a ghost hunter who would go out to the locations, set up EVP recorders and EMF meters in the hope of uh, contacting the ghost of the crime victim yeah um i've i i didn't see the role of the ghost investigator i mean there was one particular episode they were in california um and there was a girl who'd gone missing uh she'd left work at a coffee shop and she'd gone off to meet somebody and then she disappeared and her body was found later so this this ghost hunter goes off down to the beach where she said to friends that she was going and then sets up uh, EVP recorders and EMF meters and then starts chatting away to a K2 on the beach um, and then claims that that, of course, was the spirit of the girl. Um, and he'd solved the crime. Did they solve the crime? Uh, well, they said they solved the crime. That's TV, so... Take it for what it's worth. I mean, the detective they spoke to was very non-committal, um, you know, saying that we have to consider all the evidence, but, on, you know, this is interesting information, but since the program's finished, we don't plan on doing anything else with it. But it just struck me as a very bizarre idea for a program. Um, yeah, the psychic detective I could understand, and I could understand the forensic uh, detective, the, the PD guy. I couldn't understand the role of the ghost hunter, why he was there, and what they hoped to gain from his role within the team well i mean you know that's that's an interesting point because yeah i can understand and even as going out and investigate personally you pick up on entities and you feel something there i don't know necessarily that every information is going to be correct or it could just lead you down a different path right i don't know i mean there's no guarantees that's one of the things we even always say ron and i would go out you know you typically go to these haunted locations and it may be let's say it's a um, famous location and everyone assumes that you're going to meet that famous spirit you know that guy who visited one night out of his life you know is going to be at that location and i'm like i you know i that's all well and good i just don't know that that's necessarily the case it's funny right. because it, it, there's weird, it, well, there's, there's some weird synchronicity happening because we're talking about um, books at the start of the show. And this week I've been sat in front of the computer putting together a new Ghost Hunters guide uh, that will come out later in the year for the Society of Psychical Research. And it, the chapter I was working on today looked at historical research and why Ghost Hunters would research the history. And my point was that I was trying to make in this is that yeah, the history research might be uh, necessary in some cases, but all too often, looking at the history of the of a location or important people or significant events that took place there is more likely to mislead investigators into attributing. You know, that there is a, a vague apparition, but of course, if there was a famous murder there, then it was of course the murder. Right, uh, murderer or the victim, and 
you know, this this idea of do you really need to have the history of a location? Is it is it really that significant, or is it we, misleading? We, we do at the NEGP, but we do our research after the investigation. Yeah, that's what and, I'm going to uh, say. After makes more sense to me because it, then you're not putting that, those thoughts into your head prior to going out. No, that's oh, perfectly true. Uh, but there is a danger that you could that you could uh, interpret your evidence based upon your historical research even after an event. Right, um, but you can also verify, for instance... If, oh, you can, you know, absolutely. If, if you have a, a psychic guidance and they draw a picture of, of a person and then after you do some research and you find out you know, through photographs that this person actually lived in a house or something like that, then you, you, you have a little bit of connection there. No, so, I totally agree. And one of the, the points I was making is that, you know, regardless of whether you do it before, during or after, um, you have to avoid the temptation of reinterpreting the evidence in the light of the historical information. Right. Right. You can't make yeah. it fit. You know, you have to right. you have to make sure that, you know, you basically, you know, I think record all your information. Right. You put your information down and let it stand on its own. Mm -hmm. Um and then when you do have that historical data or that information, what are the similarities and what does, you know, coincide with it, in other words, so that you're, okay. you're validating, right, but you're not interpreting yeah. it. Mm -hmm. We actually have a question in the chat room I want to get to before we get too far off the particular subject of the question, which was, uh, I think she's referring to that show about the, the role of the ghost hunters. And would the ghost hunter be there to collect paranormal evidence? So I'm assuming like EVPs or something like that. Uh, I, I, you know, it's the only thing I can think of. I mean, problem it's possible, that, maybe, but... Well, the problem there is, is what would constitute paranormal evidence? Right. Well, I don't what know. What would constitute you know, I mean, evidence is a term, you know, evidence is the testimony or the facts that support the conclusion. Um, <laughs> you know, scientifically, it usually refers to data... Uh, that supports a, a hypothesis, but in relation to ghosts, the hypothesis is that some unknown phenomena, commonly referred to as a ghost, exists. And of course, there are many other hypotheses that seek to explain, you know, how these things exist as well. So, what would constitute paranormal evidence? It's just evidence. There is no, uh, there is no uh, different type of evidence that we would define as paranormal evidence. Well, I kind so, of disagree, disagree on that because. Uh, it's how the the evidence is obtained that would makes it paranormal. For instance, in the in the case of the Greenbrier ghost in, in the United States, the person was convicted because the uh, mother of the victim uh, had a dream where the victim came through and, and told him the details of the the, the crime. And mm -hmm. so that to me is paranormal evidence, where it's not a physical evidence of any sort. I I guess that that could apply. Um... Because the evidence itself, the source of the evidence in, the, in, in that it was a dream, is certainly not one of the conventional sources of evidence. Yeah, that's what, what I'm trying to get at. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So, so in, in the case of using an EVP device or measuring um, the EMF, then I guess that you're using uh, some... Because uh, you're, you're using a device out of its normal exactly. range of, of, of functioning. But then you have this problem again, though, that that you're then using the investigator to interpret the responses of the device. 
Um, and to say that's not normal, that's normal, that therefore, you know, I can't explain why the device is doing that. It must be the ghost of the girl uh, causing that to happen. So you, what's actually happening is the machine is doing something, but interpreting the machine, and like in the Greenbrier case, somebody comes along and said, I had a dream. Now, it's down to the judge, the lawyers, and ultimately the jury to decide whether that was credible and viable information. Mm-hmm. And the other thing uh, is that, uh, you know, it, you talk about interpretation. Well, a lot of, uh, I think it comes down to experts in the field. And if you were really want to, you know, get to... Uh, the meat of the matter is is that the the more qualified the the expert who is interpreting the evidence, the more valid the evidence. I would say. No evidence is evidence. Well, that's not exactly true because it can be interpreted. You just said that in your last statement. It can be interpreted in different ways. And no, and no what I said was. Know. No, what I said you know. was you have you have a raw information being supplied by equipment or or by testimony and then subjectively interpreted by the individual giving that testimony and then whether then it's down to whether the judge the lawyers and ultimately the jury accept yeah, before you that got to testimony. that bit, you you were talking about the, the the interpretation of the evidence but anyways i don't want to hang up on that while we have maureen <laughs> maureen uh okay. while you were here why why you were here you, you know some of the other things you you did also was uh you actually made bus of uh oh, forensic sculpturing yes i thought that uh, was interesting as well i did um i went out several years ago and went out to take some forensic sculpturing classes i took two weeks of classes from a woman who was actually the she was 82 years old amazing woman but she was the one who originally created 3d sculpturing uh for the fbi back when um JFK was assassinated. So they were trying to figure out, for instance, what window he was shot from and where he was shot from, and she was able to get the direction of the bullet from her cast and from the 3D, because at the time we didn't have the computers, we didn't have all this 3D, so she actually created a 3D bust or using the skull. Um, I know it sounds a little macabre, but no, again, not really. Not really. Um, but I, you know, I'm very interested in all types of, you know, obviously, I guess it's a blend of art and science. And so when I went out there, I just, I loved doing it. And it, what was interesting is this woman was very, everything had to be based on logic. And with me, she didn't know what to do. Um, because the first <laughs> week went fine. The second week, what she did is you picked out a skull to be able to do the um, sculpturing on, and you do the tissue markers, you do the depth, you do the type of the you know racial profiles. You have to create this whole bust out of the skull. Um, and so what happened was, uh, you know, she had the picture of this individual locked away in a box, and by the time you were done at the end of the week, you were supposed to be able to see how close you came. Well, she kept nudging me when we were on, like, Thursday, let's say, and I was almost done, and, can I show you, can I show you? And I said, no, I would, no, I want to finish. And what it turned out to be is even, she said, how did you do that? And I said, what are you talking about? So I had the glasses on them. I, ha- I did, I will have to brag. I was very happy with it. The only thing that was different was mine, obviously, the clay was a little flatter, so his hair wasn't, um, as fluffy, let's say, 
but I had mm-hmm. even his T-shirt open, and I had put on him a um, a certain type of shirt that was like a flannel with all stripes. And she showed me the picture, and it literally was him. She said you could have they could have taken that picture of the bust and put it and been able to um, identify him without having you know without seeing him. So. I was I was very happy, but yeah, that was uh, very interesting, and I haven't been able to use it yet. But someday I might be able to with the uh, medical examiner's office, let's say. Oh, wonderful! <laughs> <laughs> I'll, well, tell, you I'll know, tell you what. What? Go ahead. We can we'll dig up a skull for you and uh, see what you can do. Okay, I, I had a police officer wanting me to do a, uh, the skull, but all he was giving me was the cheekbone. I'm like, I am not. No, I can't do that. But. You need, a, you need the skull, the full skull. Actually, this is the show for synchronicity because just before we came on air, I was watching a BBC uh, evening program about the Piltdown Man, which took place 60 years ago, where they found, I mean, I'm sure you were already aware of it, but they found a skull, um, of fragments of a skull in Piltdown in uh, England. And when they reconstructed the skull, they said that this was the missing link. and wow. Implicated... And uh, implicated in this was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Really? Um, Wow. Yeah. I mean, they discovered subsequently that that Doyle uh, wasn't part of the hoax. The skull was actually a hoax. It was put together with a human uh, skull and an orangutan jawbone. Yeah, I've heard Um, that before. Uh, ha- but they've done DNA and demonstrated that you know these it was a human skull, orangutan jawbone. But the guy who who pulled the pulled the uh, the hoax, Dawson, um, who was a amateur um, archaeologist, uh, was a great friend of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And Doyle himself used to uh, motor down there. He would give Dawson a lift down there to the site in his motor car. And uh, Dorsa, uh, Doyle wrote extensively in support of Piltdown Man. So uh, it brings a sort of like reconstruction of skulls through to Do- uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Spirit Quest again. Wow, that is so cool. See that? You're right. Synchronicity uh, is amazing. Ooh. That is cool. Yeah. I know you're awesome. You're so awesome. <laughs> I am. Apparently Nathan's offering to have his skull boiled off at the next ah. taping. That actually reminds me of uh, the uh, the ghost story that we we read in the last uh, Next Generation, and, and we wrote about in our book Ghost Day, which was Mad Dog, the General Mad Dog from the Revolution War, who was buried in a uh, uh, blockhouse. He died and was buried in a blockhouse, and his son, several years later, went to retrieve his body for burial in the family plot. And when he got there, it was still in good shape, so. They got a doctor, and they cut the flesh off and boiled the rest of it off the bones and put the bones yep. in a wagon. As they drove back to the family thing, the wagon, or the Surrey, bounced up and down, and his bones were scattered along the highway. Yep. And his Good ghost could be seen. Are we taking Nathan up on his offer, though? No, yeah, I think no, about no, it. no, no, no. Um, Maria, I, I hate to tell you this, but we're almost out of time. And I, I know. I know got, it was so much fun. I know you, you know, well, we'll have to have you back, back on again. So... That sounds good. Great talk right. to you, Steve. I hope you had a great birthday, yeah. by the way. Thank you, and a happy new year, uh, Maureen. See you in the fall. Thank you. You too. Talk to you guys later. Yeah, bye, Maureen. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, that was quick, but uh, unfortunately, uh, we'll have her on again. And, and the psychic detective stuff is really intriguing. And, and as I mentioned before, Maureen and I did work on uh, some cases before that uh, 
you know, maybe we'll talk about a spirit quest. Who knows? But anyways, uh, you listen to Ghost Chronicles International with uh, the most reverend Steve Parson and the uh, most humble Ron Kolick right here on Tojinet, Parax, Astronet Radio, and wherever the hell else will be in play. So we'll be right back after the following message. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more. All in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. the Mormon choir version of Van Helsing of the opera fades into the distance, we revert back to part two of Ghost Chronicles International. Our guest before the break was a psychic medium, trans medium, Maureen Wood, uh, who will be joining us uh, September 29th through 31st. Is it 31 days in September? I've lost count. No. 30 days Any... of September, April, June, and November. All yeah, of us are 31. It might be different in America. It might be different in America. No, it isn't. We, we made the calendar. It's all right for all over the world. Yeah, okay. It's not the Third Amendment. That's why English is the, the accepted language of all uh, nations. Named so. after the country of England. Yeah, which has very little to do with anything, unfortunately. Because they spell everything wrong and, and get all Crazy. the grammar wrong, so it's 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 American English that's accepted. But that's all right. We should love. I'll, it I'll remind you that next we, time you, you you're on we, Facebook telling it how much you miss Downton Abbey. We love you. We love you very much. So don't worry about it. Downton Abbey. Anyway, um, this show is called Ghost Chronicles International. And last no week, no way. 
yeah, you threw me a curve for the whole of the series of them are called Ghost Chronicle in the various iterations. But you threw me a curveball last week with uh, the word of the day. We used elemental, but I thought because this is the interregnum show between episodes of the Teller of Curious Tales, that we would use a different word of the week this week. Um, yep. And and it's a question that, that I got from the title of the show, uh, a word that uh, we use every week in every trailer for the show and on the Facebook pages. Van Helsing? No. What actually is a ghost? Right. So our word of the week is ghost. Oh, wait a minute. I'll get my uh, encyclopedia on that. The Richard Felix books of what is a ghost? <laughs> Go on, then. What does Richard say? What is a ghost? Uh, unfortunately, I don't have the book with me, so you're in luck. <laughs> Well, actually, we both know in Richard's case, he got everybody else to write the book. It's <laughs> not a bad idea. I, I don't, you know, that's pretty smart if you ask me. It is. He gave me 24 hours notice. But... Yeah, about me for two. And, and you know, yeah. he's not the only one. Uh, Jeff Belanger, no. I think, is did the same thing with his most uh, haunted places of the world or something. I forget which one, which I contributed several entries to. But, uh, yeah, it's not uncommon. But it's that infernal question, isn't it? I mean, everybody who's engaged in psychical research, um, ghosts and hauntings, are striving to answer that question. I mean, it's been going on for hundreds, thousands of years. I mean, someone, you know, every day people experience ghosts. I mean, they see them, they report them, they put them in the papers, they put them on Facebook, and there are lots and lots and lots of definitions of what ghosts represent. Most of the, these definitions are assumption-based, and they're based upon a general notion or a general understanding um, of of the per, of either society um, or the person writing the the definition. I mean, for example, let's look at the Oxford English Dictionary uh, definition of a ghost includes an apparition of a dead person which is believed to appear or become a manifest to the living, typically as a nebulous image. Um, but, of course, we've got lots of examples in which the apparitions of living people have appeared, and there are lots more examples where the apparition is far from nebulous. And we've got apparitions of buses and vehicles and aeroplanes, um, so they're hardly um, dead people. I mean, we look at parapsychology. They consider the study of ghosts to be related to aspects of survival beyond death. But there's actually little to indicate that ghosts are visions of the returning dead. They could just as well be hallucinations. They could be anomalies of time and space or something entirely differently. Um, I mean, our, 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 our friend Kieran O'Keefe, uh, in one of his books, wrote uh, or, or supported uh, a fellow parapsychologist, Ian Baker, who offered a definition as a ghost being a sensory experience in which there appears to be present a person or animal, brackets, deceased or living, close brackets, which is in fact out of the sensory range of the experience. That in itself is nonsensical because you can't have a, a sensory experience that's out of the sensory range. But people have experienced ghosts of vehicles, they've described ghostly smells, and by what, you know, so when it comes to this experience that we call ghosts, when it comes to trying to define a ghost, are we just simply guessing? Are we just uh, imposing our own beliefs and ideas? 
Is that a question? Well, yeah. No, I don't know. That's why it was prefixed with Y. No. Look, I, I mean, don't know. You know, look at it. I mean, you've got this, this sort of the flitting shape of a nun. You know, the solid appearance. Uh, you know, she may appear to be nun. Um, solid, she may appear to be vaporous. She may walk noisily across. You know, the, the, the ghost may walk thump its way noisily across a floor, then disappear through a solid wall. How does that happen? How can it bang on a solid floor and then walk through a solid wall? Um, yet they're all described as ghosts. Hmm, interesting. You know, it, are we dealing with something generic? Uh, I think we all understand the term. Um, you know, we all assume that we understand what the word ghost means, but in actual fact, it, it, it's one of those words that is bandied around a lot. We use it on the show every week. We we refer to ghosts every every single week, without really considering um, what what we're talking about. Um, I, I even I've had to go try to define a ghost, um, and I, I I suggested that it might just be considered to be generic and it's, uh, an all encompassing term to describe. A sensation or an experience that we can't really explain by any normal means. I thought mine was the best though. Could be. So, what is a ghost? I'm really not sure. I don't think anybody is. Well, you've killed they that have, conversation. They have their own opinions, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we really don't know. So, anyways, uh, I have a question for you. This was in chat room, Parax chat room, and. They actually asked it before the break. I told them I would ask afterward. And it said, how would Steve explain a clear EVP? Is it, isn't like a voice recorder is being used for what is was meant? Well, the, the actual definition of an EVP, as opposed to um, any other form of recording, is that it wasn't heard by the people at the time the recording was made, whilst they were in the proximity of the recorder. So, for example, um, if you hear a sound, if you hear a, if somebody's recording um, a speech or a lecture or a concert on their recorder, they can hear the same thing that the recorder is hearing. What what an EVP is is when they play the recording back, there is something extra, something additional that they weren't aware of. Um, that's not the same thing as leaving it in the room and then coming back and recording the sound, because obviously there is no. Uh, human correlation uh, that the thing wasn't making a sound right. um, so simply leaving a recorder in a corridor and then recording footsteps whilst you weren't there means nothing apart from the fact that possibly somebody walked up the corridor um, so an EVP is, is, is in that sense very very different now in terms of classification of an EVP, an electronic voice phenomena, the classification system traditionally uh, falls back to a Raudiva classification. Now, Constantin Raudiva tried to uh, give a number of classifications from A uh, through to C, D and E um, based upon the level of clarity and understanding. Rather like when we finish uh, the show tonight, uh, which I'm doing via Skype, so I will get a Skype message saying, uh, as, I close, as, as I close down Skype, it will say, how good was this call? Uh, rate this call from one to five. Uh, good, excellent, really clear, some problems. And Raudiva's system was, was somewhat similar to that in that um, 
the very best quality recording of uh, an EVP, i.e. a sound or a, a, a series of speech that uh, the person wasn't aware of whilst it was uh, at the time of the recording, was very clear. Uh, was clearly understandable. There was no mistaking what was being said through to B, C, D and E, um, which get progressively more and more distorted and less uh, less clear. I agree. I agree with you on that. And uh, the problem with EVPs, and, and this has always been my pet peeve on it, is that most instances you don't really get a clear conversation. You get a one word that may have something to do with the place you're at, and that becomes you know pure evidence or pure proof that the spirit is existing there. And that that's my biggest uh, problem with EVPs and and I mean they're really cool to me I think they're they're extremely intriguing uh, but there's so much you know that more that could be done uh, in that field there is a great deal being done by the World ITC convention there's the um, uh, Sarah Estep over at the American EVP Association and they're doing really good work where the problem, uh, where I see problems is when people are taking recorders into haunted uh, houses and haunted locations and the, the classification system that they use whilst it bears a resemblance to the Rowdiva system um, is, is interpretive because what they claim as uh, a class A, I, I often can't hear um, what it's what is being said, um, I'll be honest. And so as I can't hear it, and most other people probably can't as well, uh, you're not dealing with a true class A EVP. A class A EVP by definition, by Raudiva's definition, which is what they're referring to and what you know, what they, 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 they say they're using would be unmistakably clear. And yet I struggle um, and others struggle to hear them. And that's why you need transcripts in order to understand them. Well, that's the problem. Is, I, is there a absolute computer program that can tell you whatever sound it is, is a particular word? I, I don't know if there is one. Uh, no. Um, and what's interesting is... Uh, the only there are several areas where forensically they do need to uh, know what is being said and most uh, commonly in air crashes when they recover the data from the cbr the cockpit voice recorder where often there is a lot of other sounds the tape may have also been this the recording may also be distorted by the subsequent accident and they do have some very very clever software which can reconstruct the the sounds that are being uh, that were recorded but ultimately the job of interpreting what the uh, crew of the aircraft was saying um, doesn't fall to the computer the computer does a job of reconstructing uh, the audio but the interpretation falls to a human being the forensic audio analyst and that is that is a, a role that takes a great deal of training. There are very few audio, acu uh, forensic acoustic or audio analysts in the world. But that also that also falls to human error as well, because of course it does. No matter what, no matter what you say, that that person, no matter how good he is, is still interpreting it through his own filters, his own experience, his own reality. 
No, you're absolutely right. But forensic audio analysts um, working for uh, the FAA, for the CAA in the UK, um, these people are rather like musicians in that they have very highly tuned hearing and they are considered legally as experts within their field. And this isn't something that they just sit down with with um, uh, one of the, you know, these programs you can buy off the off, off the internet. Audacity or something like that. Audacity. These these are all working with very comprehensive software, but they're also crucially working with years and years of uh, experience and training and uh, the skill set that's needed to work with these software programs. The problem is a lot of modern ghost hunters buy Audacity. They have a cheap recorder. Um, and then they play around with the the controls in Audacity to make the sound sound like what they want it to sound like. Uh, you see this quite a lot on investigations. When an EV, when when a, re, a recorder is played back, there will might be ten people in the room, and they will shout out what they think it, it, it sounds like. Um, now later on, of course, somebody will go back and they will they will try and fit that recording. They will play around with the with the different uh, frequency levels, they will play around with the noise reduction, they will play around with the boost and the gain and the treble and the bass until they um, get it to sound most like what they want to hear. Now, a forensic audio analyst doesn't do that. He is trained not to do that. Now, he is a human being, of course, but he is trained um, to use the software to clean up the audio so that he can make the best estimate of what is being said what the crew of the aircraft or uh you know the in the situation uh was that was actually being said or what the recording actually represents so there is a, a there is a huge there is a gulf of difference between a forensic audio analyst and a ghost hunter listening to an evp back there is but the the problem is you once again relying on humans now most people think uh fingerprint evidence is infallible and that's not true at all, not even close to being true, because uh, the computer will 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 make uh, positive uh, connections or certain points, but it's up to the uh, fingerprint analyst to make the interpretation uh, whether these fingerprints are identical or not. And it's been proven time and time again that they can be wrong. And so even though you have someone who's an expert who does it all the time, and and you have a computer program that that matches it. Although it's mostly still done by a lot of it's still done uh, by the uh, analysts as well. You can still have errors, and, and there there are constant, uh, quite a few. It's it's not like it's foolproof as we think it is. Um, well, I can't disagree with you, but we are moving towards the era of um, in terms of. You talk about uh, fingerprint analysis. There are now software programs that, that do comparative analysis between fingerprints with a very high degree of accuracy, with no human intervention whatsoever. There are also now one or two uh, forensic software uh, audio programs that can reconstruct speech to a very, very high standard in, mm -hmm. in terms of um, the CVR copy of voice recordings that are being made uh, for air crashes. Uh, so you are mitigating, uh, you know, software and technology is, is increasingly mitigating these human weaknesses. But I think we play, I, th I think we're being slightly disingenuous to, the, to these human experts because 
ultimately everything that we do as uh, uh, you know everything we've achieved as humankind has come down to us not a machine um, you know mm-hmm. we have we've invented these machines we've written the programs we have we we are uh, we are exceptionally talented um, and exceptionally good at what we can do but we do have weaknesses and to simply uh, say well of course, there is a human in the loop, therefore there must be a fault. Uh, it's something we have to be mindful of, but I think it could sometimes come across as being slightly disingenuous to humankind. I think oh, actually- That's absolutely true, but I mean, when you think about it, you, you go to a mechanic, you go to, well, a, a doctor, and, and they diagnose something, it, it, it's, it's still up to the doctor or the mechanic to diagnose okay. it. They, they might do x-rays, they might do this. But they're they're relying on their own experience. Okay, mm-hmm. this is ha- I this has happened in the past. Therefore, you know it's more likely that this is what's going on now. But sometimes there is a, a an error there. And and the other thing is, it, you can't rely on you know machines all the time either. As as you know, we have seen in the past where we had humans defeat uh, machines in chess. Uh, you know, it's. It's some kind of a balance in between. The the more experience you have, of course, the 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 more reliable the interpreter is, uh, which is you know what we we talk about. Uh, you know the the voice analyst versus uh, somebody with an EVP recorder. Yeah, it, it, that's the difference I think between the same with uh, somebody doing fingerprints. If if you have very little, it, it, you probably probably won't be uh, as accurate as someone who has been doing it for, uh, you know, multi-years. Well, you're absolutely spot on, uh, absolutely correct, because, I mean, even the machine, I mean, you said the machines are, aren't infallible either, um, and that that has been you know, demonstrably the case over and over again, where the machine has made a mistake, the computer has erred. Um, but then, I mean, computer operators usually recourse to, well, yeah, but a human put the data in, so the machine exactly. is not, not at fault. Uh, but, but nonetheless, you know, an over-reliance on technology can be a dangerous thing, and an over-reliance on humans can be a dangerous thing. We have to learn to trust. I mean, we, when we go to the doctor, we trust the diagnosis. Um, and in, in the vast, huge majority of cases he will make a correct diagnosis or he will refer you to a specialist with even more knowledge and greater resources who will make mm-hmm. the correct diagnosis. What you, what we have in, the, in terms of ghost investigation is people with uh, a wide range of life experiences that might be unrelated to audio analysis or uh, uh, analysis of uh, photographs. Uh, they, you know, they, their life skills might be as mechanics or... or hairdressers or you know whatever role of life that they have and they do have some skills that they have developed but this is developed skills without training and without direction often you know they, they've taught themselves on the job by listening to lots of EVPs or, or and getting you know often the results that they want and it becomes less likely that the outcome of the decision will be a correct one. Well, then again, it, you know, that's how man learned. It learned by experience. Uh, it didn't have other things to learn about. So you can't acquire knowledge. You can acquire knowledge by doing. And, uh, Absolutely. 
absolutely you can acquire knowledge it is the greatest way to acquire knowledge is by hands-on um learning on the job however um you know in terms of learning on the job there is usually some form of mentor uh, uh, or a tutor um while you serve your time serve your apprenticeship and, and undergo training who is going to guide you and define you and and uh, you know sort of help you along the way a lot of these ghost investigators lack that um tuition like that mentorship they they learn on the job they get an inordinate amount of skill and an inordinate amount of practice with the revps but they are not only learning on the job they are also their own tutor and mentor and nobody is going to sell you know they're not self-correcting right but I mean, even yourself. I mean, you you have captured EVPs. I mean, the, the phenomenal mm-hmm. one, of course, of the children at their school is thing. And and yet, you know, I mean, are you a? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I it's hard to describe if there's an EVP expert. Uh, no, I'm not. No, I'm far from an EVP expert. Um, and I, just just to clarify, the, the recording of the children in the school uh, cannot be an EVP because it was also heard simultaneously by, by the people. Okay, by, my bad, my bad. But I have recorded some really good EVPs um, or been, been present when they were recorded by the recorder that you know, mm-hmm. we weren't aware of. But I, I lack the expertise. Um, uh, to to interpret them now in two instances we did resort to a forensic audio analyst uh, mm-hmm. who had a contract with the civil aviation authority uh, and in two other instances uh, we relied upon our own skills because my phd work is in is sound related and so i did develop under tuition some skills to um, look at sound um, but i I think we, we, looking at the ghost programs and looking at the ghost groups, there is an inordinate amount of credibility given to electronic voice phenomena um, and EVP recording as a technique without necessarily some of the, the controls that would give us back um, or improve the credibility of some of the recordings because they're all, they're all getting thrown up into the same sort of bag. Yeah, it, you know, we we banted, uh, we thrown, uh, time's almost running out, but, uh, you know, we threw this word around expert, so I decided to look it up in, uh, in this dictionary I have, and it says, someone whose knowledge or skill is specialized and profound, especially uh, as a result of much practical experience, the highest proficiency rating for marksmanship, and that's a, another thing, but that kind of fits in what, what you were saying. It, it's someone who has, you know, profound experience, I guess. Mm-hmm. I would also say that the, the, their experience is gained under the ch- uh, tutorship of somebody Well, that's else. not the way it is in the dictionary, but yeah, yeah I understand but I, 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 I would I would put that uh, a caveat in. Um, simply doing something wrong for 25 years, you're still doing it wrong at the end of 25 years. You know, if you were if you were going to a backstreet surgeon who had been taking out appendixes with a spoon and a bread knife and been doing it for twenty five years, you you wouldn't be in a safe position. Um, but he he was a, he was an expert at that time with the knowledge <laughs> that with the knowledge that was available at that time. So he, he would yeah. be an expert. 
Yeah. But, but that being said, it doesn't the mean it's wouldn't right. be good. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, but anyways, this the, this is the bell, which means we got to uh, wrap this up. So, anyways, uh, we want to thank you for listening. Uh, I guess early has been Marvin Wood, psychic medium and trans medium, the co-author of Ghost Chronicles and Ghost of Day with me, and my partner in crime for many years. And she will be at Spirit Quest uh, teaching uh, psychic. Well, actually, it's not teaching it. It'll be doing uh, psychic detective work. We have a little part of the Saturday night thing, which will be kind of fun. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about that, something new and different. So anything coming up? I know you have something uh, in Wales. Uh... Uh, not, not, nothing in the immediate future, apart from writing this uh, new book. Um, but yes, at the end of May, there will be a ghostology to be held in South Wales, and we will have the dates and the venues by the end of the month. It cracks me up. You see, in South Wales, North—I mean, Wales is the size of Rhode Island. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it still has the north. It's east Wales. That's what it is. Actually, it has—it has north, east, south, west, and mid. <laughs> really? What, what does it take? Two steps to the left, three steps to the right, one step to head, and two steps back. <laughs> having, having driven the length of it over the weekend to um, a family birthday party, I hasten to add, unfortunately, not mine. Um, it can still feel like a very long way. Speaking about that, do you know the, the, the size? I mean, how far across it is and how far? Uh, it's it? about 80, 80 from side to side and 170 from end to end. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, say no more. <laughs> but anyways, uh, I do want to uh, hope you had a great birthday. And I saw that lovely ghost buster sign your wife bought you. So uh, I'm sure you have that in your office. I have it right next to me as we speak. It's next to the yeah, I know I can hear it buzzing. It's not the, that's not the neon that's buzzing. <laughs> Just teasing. <laughs> so tune in next week, and we will have another uh, Teller of Curious Tales, I believe. Well, episode six. Wow, can you believe it? Six of them already. So anyway, till then, good night. God bless, everyone. Good night, God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good luck. <laughs>